Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. With your Bibles open now to Luke chapter 23, I invite you, if you're able, please, to stand um, with us as we read the Word of God, God together. Luke chapter 23. We're picking up as we've gone through uh, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we saw last Sunday the the way to the cross, uh, that point from the time of Jesus' condemnation by Pilate, uh, and and what happened on the way to the cross. And this morning we're we've arrived now at the scene in verse 32 with Jesus and these uh, thieves as they're now being placed on the cross, and and we see what happens at the cross. Luke chapter 23. We'll pick up with verse number 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What happened at the cross? You may be seated. I wonder if one of those Roman soldiers on that day of the crucifixion of of Christ, after he returned home to his home, perhaps as wives often lovingly do, will may have asked him, well, what happened at work today? How was work today? You imagine how he would have answered that question. Perhaps he would go through the the various unusual events, that which was not typical, the way Jesus responded, this one called the King of the Jews, the things that he said from the cross that day, the darkness, the earthquakes. But again, very few fully comprehended what took place that day. But I can just imagine as that centurion in the Bible indicates that there were more, there was more than one that day who recognized that Jesus truly was the son of God. Imagine him saying, I now believe he truly is the son of God. The significance of what happened at the cross that day. I had an appointment with my, with our physician this past week, Dr. Mark Castellaw. Some of you may know Dr. Castellaw is a believer. And as he often does, he asks me, well, what are you going to be preaching on this Sunday? And so I, uh, I told him 
the text and what I would be preaching about the cross from the Gospel of Luke. And he reminded me, that's Dr. Luke. And I said, yes, sir. And, uh, and then he took time to explain uh, to me that uh, the, some of the medical uh, perspectives concerning the cross. And again, that just hearing and being reminded of, again of the excruciating agony of a, from a physical perspective of the cross. But again, the most important matter of what happened on the cross that day is what happened from God's perspective. And again, we're, 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 we're not going to plunge to the depths of that, that wonderful truth today. But we are going to consider from Luke's description here that we've read what happened at the cross. So look, first of all, notice with me as we answer those questions. Jesus was crucified with and for sinners. He was crucified with and for sinners. We see that in verses 32 and 33. First of all, he was crucified with sinners. We see there that two others accompanied Jesus to the cross that day to be crucified. Luke calls them criminals and Matthew calls them robbers. Uh, the word robber there in Matthew means to take possession of others through violent means. Some say these could have been companions of Barabbas, and certainly that is very possible. Uh, but they were all condemned to die. But again, as, as the Word of God tells us so clearly, only two of them deserved to die. Jesus was, as Pilate had declared several times in this process, fully innocent. And we know that is the only way and the reason he could be our Savior and Lord, because he was sent the sinless Son of God. So and I, this is, of course, their presence, the presence of these two sinners, these two thieves, if you will, these two, two malefactors, as some referred to them, uh, it was a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 12, that says, he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. They were led to the place of crucifixion, referred to as in our text here, Calvary, or your translation may say Golgotha, which of course literally means, the translation is the place of the skull. And again, there, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals on either side of him. They were laid down on, their, on the cross as they arrived there at Golgotha, where again, uh, they, they were, uh, the cross was laid down and, and, and they were nailed to that cross. We're told that the, the cross, some say the cross was probably just scarcely twice the height of, 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 of an ordinary man. Another said that being crucified, that death resulted from exposure, from shock, eventual suffocation when the body was so exhausted that breathing in that position was no longer possible. It normally took about 12 hours for this execution to take place. This is one of the reasons why it was considered the most cruel and the most painful death possible uh, to humanity. Uh, but Jesus' death, of course, took only six hours. And of course, they came, as we'll, as we'll see in the text, they came later, to, came to break the legs, again, because of the oncoming Sabbath. But Jesus, of course, suffered so much more than any other person ever suffered because his suffering was more than physical suffering. And again, this, this, this was a fulfillment of Psalm twenty-two, sixteen 16 that Hunter read to us earlier. You imagine these prophecies 
that were fulfilled that we know, of course, are affirmation of, of the truth of the crucifixion. Psalm twenty two sixteen says, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And of course, this, uh, the fact that this was prophesied hundreds of years before crucifixion, when this form of execution had not even been invented at that point, but uh, was certainly affirmation of the, the, the truth of the word of God. So he was crucified with sinners, but praise God, he was crucified for sinners. The Bible says he laid down his life for us. Peter describes what, what transpired in 1 Peter 3.18 when he said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Peter says he, was, he, he, he suffered for the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous, of course, is Jesus. He is the only one who is righteous, and he is the one who was crucified. And of course, he's, the Bible says the righteous for or in behalf of, on behalf of the unrighteous. And dear brother and sister, dear friend, you can put your name there because we are the unrighteous, sinners like me. Uh, that is who Jesus died for, and, and, uh, and that's what happened on the cross that day as Jesus died with sinners and for sinners. And of course, all the, the, the Bible teaches us that he is, as we saw even in our previous messages from Luke, that he was our sinless substitute, that on the cross, that, that not only was our sin placed on him, as the word of God says, and, and again, he became sin for us, but also God's holy wrath, God's holy anger against sin that can only be satisfied otherwise in eternal hell apart from Christ. All of God's holy wrath was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that through his death, we are reconciled. Those who are enemies, hell deserving, separated from God for eternity, that, that his holy wrath was satisfied there. And therefore we are reconciled. Those who are enemies can now have a, a relationship with Christ for eternity through what Christ accomplished for us at the cross by receiving through repentance and faith, his gift of eternal life. Has that occurred in your life? Has Christ's payment been applied to you? Has he, uh, have you acknowledged him as your sinless substitute, calling on him in repentance and faith? Jesus was also fulfilling Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hudson Taylor called this the great exchange where Jesus took my sin, my wickedness, in order that I could take his righteousness, in order that God would see me in Christ and see the pure righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, praise God that the Lord Jesus was crucified with sinners and for sinners. But notice second, Jesus prayed for sinners. Jesus prayed for sinners. In verse 24, again, we, excuse me, verse 34, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus did that. When all this was taking place as he was being crucified, Jesus said, Father, 
Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Again, this, uh, this uh, verb is an imperfect verb that indicates that Jesus kept on saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, for they know not what they do. So Jesus was continuously really praying this prayer. This is the first of, of seven sayings, if you will, statements of Jesus from the cross. And again, the, the fact that he begins it with Father indicates his relationship with the Father was perfect and fulfilled. Fulfilled and and again uh, he as he's crying out to God on behalf he is praying uh, for others. Many would be praying for themselves right now, wouldn't they? In a time of tremendous suffering, physically as well as spiritually, Jesus is praying on behalf of others. Uh, one might understand that, that if instead of praying forgive them, if Jesus had been praying destroy them, because again they deserve that. That is exactly what they deserved. But no, instead, Jesus was praying continuously, Father, forgive them. Let me say that by Jesus praying this prayer, that didn't mean that, that this forgiveness was automatic, but it was available. And again, uh, Stephen Cole uh, identified four things that this prayer did not mean. First of all, it did not mean that pardon would be granted without repentance, that would be inconsistent with the Word of God. The Bible, of course, says that, that, that we must repent of our sin. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So again, repentance is required. Second, it did not mean that God's judgment on Israel was canceled. We preached about that as, as the Bible made it clear that the Lord Jesus said that because of their rejection of their Messiah, Israel, uh, as a nation, as a whole, would experience judgment. And that certainly was seen and, and fulfilled in, in AD 70. But again, uh, that judgment would come. But thirdly, uh, it did not mean that every person in, that, in the crowd that day would be saved. But praise God, some would and some were. And, and so it certainly uh, uh, meant that there would be those who would respond in repentance and faith. And then fourthly and finally, it did not mean that forgiveness is granted to all who are spiritually ignorant. Jesus said they uh, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul described in his own testimony that he persecuted Christ, persecuted the church, and that he was ignorant. But there were those among them who uh, knowingly were crucifying the Lord of glory. And those who, who did know what they were doing, they'd hardened their heart against him. Um, and again, Cole goes on to say, God holds every person accountable for his sin, and he will judge every person who does not repent and believe in Jesus. No one will be able to stand before God and plead ignorance to escape hell. So in his prayer, the, the, that the Father forgive those who, who, had, who in ignorance had acted so wickedly in crucifying Christ, we, one, for one, we see the, the magnitude of man's wickedness. Our, our wickedness is far greater than we have imagined, amen? But also we see the greatness and the depth of God's love and grace and forgiveness. And his love and his grace and his forgiveness is far greater than we ever imagined. Well, I am grateful to, to report that the Father answered Jesus' prayer. Well, he always answers Jesus' prayer. Amen. 
Some were saved even this very day at the cross, as we're going to see in a moment, in, in answer to the prayer. Others were among those who will, uh, in a short time, here on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus was resurrected and before and after he had ascended back to heaven, on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, uh, there were some 3,000 saved uh, that day. I believe in, largely in answer to the prayer of the Lord Jesus. Jesus' prayer moved the hand of the Father to turn the will of those who responded that day at the cross and those who still respond today. And he's still doing that. And that, dear friend, is why prayer is so vitally important. You say, well, you know, this is Jesus. Absolutely. But, you know, we can know we're praying in the will of God as we pray for God to turn the hearts of unbelievers we're praying in the will of God, and that is how God works. And I want to say to you today, and I agree with her others say that perhaps in this church family, that, that, that I believe when people are saved, they are largely saved in answer to someone's prayer. Amen? And I believe that if you're here today and you know Christ, first of all, you praise Jesus that he has saved you by his grace, but you should also praise Jesus that someone prayed for you. And dear friend, that is why it is so vitally important that we pray for unbelievers. God has just put that on my heart. I had a, got, heard a message this week that, that challenged my heart about this, how important our praying is and how important our praying together is. I believe if we really believe this, if we really believe in, in how God works in answer to prayer of his people and bringing people to faith as we pray in Jesus' name, for people to be saved, then I believe our prayer meetings will be our most great, greatly attended meetings in our church. Our, as I reminded you last week, our Monday morning men's prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. If you can't be there for that one, but you can pray another time, let me know. We'll be happy to gather with you. And we come together and we do pray by name for unbelievers who need Christ and praying for God to turn their heart. Uh, but again, on Wednesday night as we come together for prayer and pray together and, and, and intercede together on behalf of unbelievers and any other time we gather, we should be praying for God to turn the hearts of people, to turn the wills of people to himself. Jesus prayed for sinners. But third, Jesus was mocked by sinners. He was mocked by sinners. Beginning there in the latter part of verse 34, uh, where we see that they, they divided his garments and cast lots. We see that this mockery that had already been going on throughout the trial, uh, throughout the abuse of the Lord Jesus, and now during this crucifixion, they continue to mock the Lord Jesus Christ. The Roman soldiers here mocked him. Uh, we see by casting lots, that's like rolling dice basically for Jesus' clothes. Uh, they left him naked except for, the poss for possibly a loincloth. Uh, and this shameful exposure was part of the punishment, the open shame uh, that, that took place there. And you know, when we think about uh, one, of the, one of the consequences of sin is, is, our, is, a, is shame. That's what happened in the garden, of course. When Adam and Eve realized their sin, they realized their nakedness and they, they were ashamed. And so the Lord Jesus bore our shame on the cross and, uh, and that's exactly what was taking place. And so this too is a fulfillment of Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18. It says, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. 
Verses 36 and 7, these soldiers also mocked him by giving him sour wine, which was uh, vinegar wine, basically cheap wine. They were pretending to be subjects uh, to, uh, to a king and, and mocking him as a king, giving him this cheap wine. Uh, they too were fulfilling uh, Psalm 69, 21 says that they gave me poison for food and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Matthew says he tasted it, but he did not drink it, possibly just enough to uh, moisten his mouth for, for speaking that he would continue to do. Uh, and they were saying, in essence, if you are, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. These soldiers, again, pretending he was a king, and, 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 and they were saying, in essence, if you're really a king, kings always look out for themselves, and they put themselves first. Well, Jesus wasn't that kind of king because he was looking out for us. He was looking out for others, for sinners, uh, and that's exactly what he was not doing is thinking of himself. He was thinking, once again, of sinners like me and you. Verse 35, the, the Jewish people and their rulers kept, kept sneering. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ the, of God, his chosen one. But again, this uh, fulfilled Psalm 22, uh, 7 and 8. This says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. In essence, they were challenging Jesus. Prove yourself by coming down from the cross. Well, he'd already proven he was God through his miracles and, and through his teaching and through his sinless life. So in reality, he was proving himself to be God by just the opposite. He was proving himself God by staying on the cross, proving himself to be our Savior and our Lord by dying from the cross and then on the cross and then being raised again on the third day. And then Pilate mocked him there in verse 38 with this uh, this. Once again, a sign that said, this is the king of the Jews, literally the king of the Jews, this one. He's, he was exactly that. And Pilate, again, was doing this primarily as a way of getting revenge over the Jews who had pressured him into condemning Jesus to die. Verse 39, one of the thieves said to him, uh, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Well, this man, of course, didn't want salvation. He didn't want spiritual salvation. He wanted to, again, he wanted the salvation, if you will, from the consequences of sin, just like many do today. They want to be saved from the consequences, but they do not truly want to surrender to Jesus as Lord. They want to dictate their own terms uh, of their salvation, but we must come to God his way. We, we cannot be saved on our terms. We must be saved on his terms. We must come to him, again, recognize our, recognizing our sin in and, and repentance and faith and surrendering to the lordship of Christ. Well, Jesus could have come down from the cross. We know in one of the gospel accounts, even at the, the garden, Jesus uh, told Peter uh, when he drew the sword, he said, do you not realize that I could call 12 legions, that's 70,000 angels, if I wanted to at this point to deliver me? But Jesus had a purpose. He was on a mission, and he was fulfilling his mission. And praise God, he didn't come down. Amen? Praise God, he stayed on that cross as he was paying our debt for us in full. So Jesus was mocked by sinners. But fourth, I want you to see Jesus saved a sinner. Jesus saved a sinner. Verses 40 to 43, Matthew says that at one point, both of these thieves... 
uh, were, were mocking the Lord Jesus, Matthew 27, 44. But then something happened. One of the thieves had watched him and he had heard him repeatedly pray, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. God was doing work in his heart. God was answering the prayer of the Lord Jesus, you see. He was working in his heart that day to turn his heart, to turn his will toward the Lord Jesus. So he rebuked that, that thief and, and he was therefore acknowledging uh, who Jesus was. He said there, he said, uh, uh, do, do you not even fear God? Verse 40, do you not fear God seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He was acknowledging his sin, his own sin, and he was also acknowledging Jesus' sinlessness. He was acknowledging that as God had done this work in his heart. But secondly, he also recognized him as sovereign Lord. For in verse 42, he said, Lord, said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew that this was not the end for him. Now, you know, from a physical human perspective, one might look at what was taking place there and say, well, he's dying on a cross. But God had so worked in this man's heart that he recognized why Jesus was dying. He recognized that he was sovereign Lord and that this was not the end for him, that he was entering into his kingdom that he'd promised. And, and even though perhaps he'd not heard the gospel and never heard of Jesus before this day, he heard the gospel that day and he was recognizing that Jesus was sovereign Lord. And then thirdly, he repented of his sin, even as he said, remember me. And, and you know, some might look at this prayer and say, well, you know, this is, this is, there's not much of a prayer here. Uh, you know, there's not much to this, but aren't you grateful that, that God looks at the attitude of our heart? He was looking at this man's repentance. He was looking at, at how he was responding in faith. And that's what the Bible says is required. It's not a formula. It's not, it has to be this word. It has to be that word. It, it's a work of God that God in his spirit causes us to see our sinfulness and see our wretchedness and see our, that we are hell-deserving sinners separated from God. And brings us to that place then of, of repentance and faith and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And that's exactly what he did. And that day, he not only repented of his sin, but he also trusted Jesus as his Savior and surrendered to him as his Lord. Well, what was Jesus' response? What was Jesus' response? Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus didn't say, too late for you? It's too late. You've lived too sorry a life. You've been a wicked robber and a thief. And besides that, there's, you can't get down from this cross. You can't go, go join the church anywhere. You can't do any good works. You can't prove yourself. No, Jesus knew what was in his heart. And aren't you grateful today for the grace of God that brought this man to, the, to the, hearing these wonderful words from the Lord Jesus there when he said to him in verse, four, as, as recorded in verse 43, Assuredly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That very moment, this man was born again. You see, because while he could not work good works, while he couldn't, uh, his conversion, however, is still being used to point people to faith in Christ. Because salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Jesus said, today you will be with me. When a sinner repents, he or she is immediately forgiven, immediately redeemed, immediately saved from sin and hell. Immediately the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ comes to live in us. We become his temple. And we are not only that, but, but even we are put in Christ so that what Jesus promised this man in, in, a, in a real spiritual sense is true of us, every one of us right now. For the moment we came to Christ, he came to live in us. God put us in Christ. And the Bible says as believers, we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are in Christ. And, and I just felt, I like to think of it this way, that we are, we are in Christ. And one day when we die like this man, we're going to catch up with where we are. Because we're already with Christ spiritually. And one day, uh, fully and completely, we're going to be with Christ for all eternity. But right now, this man is with Christ. And what a wonderful truth for believers as well, that when we die, when, as this man died, we are immediately with Jesus. You say, where is heaven? It's where Jesus is. That's really the main thing we need to know. Amen? It's where Jesus is. And again, several times in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Philippians 1, 23, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. These are promises that tell us that that's what happens to a believer when we leave this earth. We now are with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Praise God. One Puritan writer said, we have one account of a deathbed repentance in order that no man need despair. But he also said, we have only one in order that no man may presume. By this we mean we should, we should share Christ with people on their deathbed. Do you know people who uh, are on their deathbed? We certainly should share the good news of the gospel with them because people can repent and we should be praying for repentance and faith and surrender to Christ so we should be grateful for this testimony of Scripture that a person hearing the gospel, even at that point, can be saved. But on the other hand, I would say to you, dear friend, if you're here, and listen to me, if you're here without Christ, if you have not repented of your sin, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, please, I plead with you, do not presume on God's grace. Do not delay coming to Christ in repentance and faith. Place your faith in him today. The Bible says, do not harden your heart. Listen, you may only have today. Today may be your only opportunity. Let me say that again. If you're here without Jesus, today may be your only opportunity. Today may be your only opportunity. I believe there are people here around the cross who had hardened their heart against the Lord and would not be Say, please, we plead with you, do not harden your heart against the Lord. Today may be your last opportunity. Well, in conclusion this morning, let me say several things as we think about this passage. First of all, Jesus only died for one kind of people, sinners. He only died for sinners. And yes, the Bible says we all are sinners, but we must acknowledge our sin 
and, and repent before him. Second, all who rejected Jesus this day rejected him primarily. You'll notice one thing that was in common about them. They rejected his being king. They rejected his lordship. And you see what people want in and of themselves is to be their own lord, to be their own king. They want to call their own shots. And, 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 that's, and we cannot be saved if we do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord, turning from our sin and ourself and turning to him. Thirdly, Jesus can and does forgive any sinner who comes to him in repentance and faith. That's good news. Fourth, you and I are commanded to forgive others in the same way that Jesus did, the way he's forgiven us. Are you dealing with any unforgiveness in your heart? And you, a sinner, me, a sinner, and we think we can hold someone when Jesus, who is the Lord of glory, the sinless Son of God, could forgive those who treated him as they did that day. And he says we are to forgive others, and he gives us the power to do that. We have the forgiver living inside of us, and he will enable us to forgive others in the same way. Number five, these two thieves represent every person in this room this morning. One acknowledged his sin, one turned from his sin that day and trusted in Jesus, and now he's in glory. He's with the Lord Jesus. Or the other thief rejected him. The other thief said no, and he remained in his sin, and he died in his sin, and he's in hell. Where are you? Which one represents you today? Which one represents you? You see, it's not a matter of just what will happen one day, but the Bible says if you have rejected Christ, you are condemned already. And that's why today, again, we plead with you to repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Christ. Again, because today may be your last opportunity. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions, or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.